are in this series called Psalms for the Summer. It's been so much fun to be going through these different psalms. We're kind of jumping all over the place now, kind of started in order, and, and uh, we're, we're through that. It doesn't really matter. They're all individual anyway. Uh, but we are in Psalm 27 this morning, and uh, it's, been, it's been so fun to, to look at a number of these, some of them super familiar, maybe some of them you've, you've never read before. Uh, but this one is one that, that uh, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you've probably at least heard a few verses from this chapter before. It's a really familiar Psalm. And this Psalm deals with fear and anxiety. Do you think that applies to our world today at all? <laughs> think people are anxious or nervous or fearful in our world? Uh, you know, it was about two and a half years ago uh, that the um, coronavirus started. Now, can you believe that, first of all? Like, uh, but think about everything that has changed in our world over the past two and a half years. And I remember that exact same year, we had uh, one of the most divisive elections in our, our country's history. Um, the, certainly the, the most divisive one that I can remember, but I'm not that old. So, um, And then on top of that, now we have everything else that's going on in the world. We have inflation. We have um, a massive ruling in the Supreme Court that people are really upset about a few weeks ago. We have the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the ongoing war there. Um, and, and all the stuff that everybody is dealing with, um, on top of all of that, we all have our own issues as well. So we have like these big issues that are out there somewhere in the world, and then we have our personal issues. And oftentimes our personal issues can seem like a bigger deal than even the big stuff that's going on in the world around us and can have even a greater effect on our mental health. And so before I jump into the passage of Scripture this morning, I want to clarify something. In the past, every time I've preached on fear or, or talked, maybe even in passing about it, Inevitably, someone uh, will come up to me afterwards or talk to me a couple days later and say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety and I, I feel judged when you preach on this. And, and I just want to address that real quick, if that's you this morning, because I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to, um, you to not hear what Scripture has to say uh, as a result. It's normal to be afraid and anxious and worried. That's part of our human nature. That's, that's to feel those things. And, and frankly, some people were born more anxious than other people. Some come by their anxiety through life experience. And, and can I tell you something? You are not alone in this battle if that's how you're feeling right now. You are not alone in this. There are many other people, many other Christians and believers, people of faith that are struggling with this with this issue, but here's the tough part, and I'm not trying to be insensitive this morning, but I do want you to hear this. God does not want you to be ruled by your fear. He does not want you to be governed by your fear. He wants his children to overcome fear. So this message is not a message of judgment for those who are dealing with this. In fact, I know of several people in, in our church community that are dealing with anxiety right now. And, and because I know that there are several, that means that there are lots more, right, that I'm not even aware of. So this message isn't to frustrate you because you haven't beaten your anxiety yet. It's to give you hope that there's power in the name of Jesus, that he can set you free from fear that you don't have to have your life 
rule, ruled and governed by fear. Now, if someone is like, has a physical injury, like we don't just like pray for them once and call it good, right? Like if, if they're not instantly healed on the spot. No, if like, let's say you tear something in your shoulder and, and you have people pray for you, it doesn't get better. You should still go to the doctor. You should still seek treatment. Um, you might need surgery to restore what's wrong. And you should keep praying too, right? It's not like um, uh, the, the difference between something like that. We, we don't have this expectation of like, well, if I have a physical injury, everyone's going to judge me. No, that's because you fell on your shoulder, right? Uh, but sometimes when it relates to issues of fear or anxiety, what happens in that instance is that we, we tend to wear that injury or, or that sickness as part of our identity, and that fear and that anxiety becomes part of who we are. So then when we hear in Scripture, and it talks about it a lot, frankly, when we hear in Scripture that we're not supposed to be afraid, that we're not supposed to be ruled by fear, it can feel like, well, I'm a bad person then. No, you just need to be set free from your fear. And God doesn't want you to live under that, that crippling anxiety and fear. And So David is writing this psalm, and I want you to hear what he's going through right now. Because we're going to read this, and through the language that he uses, it's pretty clear that there are a couple of different things going on. Something is happening nationally that's a crisis, right? There's, there's some sort of war. He talks about having enemies and adversaries and violence. And, and so we hear from this language that there's something big going on. And we can also interpret from reading through this that he's going through something personally as well. And we could look at scripture and try to guess what personal tragedy he's going through. But David had so many, it's impossible to tell. All right? It could have been a number of things that, he was, that was going on in his life in this moment. Um, and, and how many would say, I can relate to that? Like, there's constantly something else. I, I get through one, one tragedy or one difficulty or one problem, and it's on to the next one. And now I'm struggling with the next one. I'm fighting through this, and it seems like I'm constantly in a battle. Well, there's hope in this chapter that we're about to read. Have I hyped it up enough this morning? All right. So Psalm 27, let's read it. We're going to read through the whole thing. Um, normally, I kind of like to take it chunk by chunk, but with the Psalms, it's kind of like a, a verse or a stanza or a poem, so it's, it's easier to at least read it in chunks. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll come back to it. So um, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on the rock. And now my head will be lifted above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody in my heart to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, 
Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. And I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This morning, I want to give you five ways to combat fear. All right, five different things. And, and here's the thing. If, if this is something that you have struggled with in the past, if this is something that you are struggling with right now, if this is something that you're, you're thinking you might struggle about in the future, can you just write these five things down? Uh, and I think, you know, try to identify maybe one or two of these things that this is really some, an area that I need to focus this morning. But if, if you have a, a paper bulletin, you can write it down. If you have a phone, you can take out your notes app and just, just write that down. But come back to this next time you're feeling fearful and remember these things. They're straight out of this passage of scripture and uh, we'll break it down. Maybe there's more than five in here, but these are the five that I noticed. So um, number one is to be attentive. To be attentive. Be aware of the world that we're living in. Listen, just because we're ruled by, we're not supposed to be ruled by our fear, it doesn't mean that we bury our heads in the sand and pretend that we don't know anything about what is going on around us. Um, you know, there's a, a question that almost everyone asks, maybe when they're first coming to faith, or maybe you're still, you're a believer already, but you're still wrestling with this question, um, or somebody is trying to disprove God's existence, this is the question that they'll ask me. If God is so good and so wonderful and so powerful, then how come everything in the world is so messed up? And it's always some variation of that question, or why do bad things happen to good people? Or if, if God is good and loving, then why did he allow this to happen in my life? And, and can I be just completely transparent? I've answered this question so many times, I'm just sick of it. And sometimes I just want to be like, you know what, not today, no. <laughs> And, and I know that's wrong, and I know that's the, a bad attitude to have. Um, but here's the deal. <laughs> this world that we live in is completely broken, right? It's that way because mankind brought sinfulness into this world. It's when Adam and Eve sinned, they brought in this sinful nature that now governs us and rules us. It's the nature that we're born into. And so our default position is evil, and it's only by the grace of God, it's only by his redeeming work on the cross that we can be anything different than that. Now, that doesn't mean that, that people who don't know Christ don't have any capacity for good in them. I mean, there's, there's evidence of, of goodness and God's faithfulness on this earth as well. But our default position is selfishness, it's evil, it's, it's sinful behavior. From the moment that we're born, that's the way we are. And so when we look at the world around us, it's not God's fault that it's messed up. It's us. We're the ones that are screwed up. He's good. He's faithful. He's loving. And he's provided a way for us to experience redemption. But we rejected his plan for us. We chose a sinful path. And now we're on the result of that path. 
And so when we look at the world around us, we see all the problems. We look at different leaders in the world, at corruption, in, in government, in politics, uh, in, in wars that are going on, in genocides that have happened over the past few years. Yeah, these things are evil, despicable things. It's not God that's bringing these things about. It's our brokenness that's bringing them about. And God working his plan of restoration in the midst of all this brokenness is truly a miracle. And so it's absurd um, for us as Christians to expect that because we've placed our faith in Christ that everything around us in the world is, is now suddenly going to go the right way for us. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be evil. There's going to be people that do stupid things. Even Christians, we're still wrestling through this process of sanctification. It's, we're not there yet and we still do dumb, evil, stupid things. That's part of, of the world that we live in. Uh, Chuck Colson said this. This is such an incredible quote. He said, It's an absurd for Christians to expect a miraculous answer to every need, from curing ingrown toenails to finding parking places. This only leads to faith in miracles rather than in the maker. Cannot, now, think about that for a second. Here's, here's not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't bring your problems to God and that you can't pray for God to heal your ingrown toenail. That's not what I'm saying. Like, God does care about the details of our life. Does God do the miraculous? Yes, he does. Absolutely. I've seen it happen a million times before, but, but when, when we go through something and we don't see the answer to prayer that we want all the time, do we trust God enough to recognize that maybe the miracle in that instance is that he's leading us through that hardship rather than taking it away from us? In fact, a lot of scripture tells us that you are going to face hardship as a believer. You're going to face persecution. You're going to have people that are upset with you, that aren't going to listen to you, that are going to reject you because of the name of Christ. And hardship is part of this life that we have on this earth. It's something that we have to be aware of. But the beauty of a relationship with Christ is not that all the problems go away. It's that he's with us in those hardships, that he's leading us, that he's walking through that pain with us as well. And then when we see God intervene supernaturally, when we see a miracle, we don't have to be like, well, it didn't happen this time. Or, or we see it in somebody else's life. Well, it didn't happen for me, right? We can get rid of that selfish, arrogant attitude and rejoice for those who are experiencing that miracle in that moment and say, God, you're amazing. It's trusting him through that process as well. So be aware of what's going on. Be aware that he's with us in the midst of that as well. Uh, we read in, in verse 2, uh, it says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. That's, that's quite a picture that David's painting there. My adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. David is saying, I'm completely aware that things aren't always going my way. But I'm trusting that God is going to bring me through it. Here's the second one. Be confident. Be confident. Verse 3 says this, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. That's, that's an incredible statement, right? David's saying my confidence isn't contingent on the circumstances that are happening in my life. Right? 
And, and he's, he's saying it like it's a choice, not like it's a feeling. Sometimes you have to tell yourself that you're going to be confident, right? Even if you don't believe it completely, it helps to say it. <laughs> like, I don't really feel great about this, but I'm going to be confident. You got to give yourself a pep talk sometimes. Like, I love sports movies. I, I don't know it, if any of you feel the same way as I do, but sports movies are like, it's, it's one of the few things in this world that can move me to tears. I know that's stupid. I know that's shallow, whatever. But listen, when I watch a great sports movie, like, like Remember the Titans or Hoosiers or, you know, some of these classic movies, I'm just like bawling. I, and, and nothing is better than the great halftime speech. Man, I, I watch those things, and I know they're scripted and they're fake and all that stuff, but like I remember sitting in the locker room at some of our high school basketball games and our coach just, you know, firing us up and, and, and uh, you know, letting us have it sometimes. And it was like we walked out of that locker room, we were like, yes, we can take on the world. Sometimes you need to give yourself a halftime speech, right? Remind yourself of the truth of God's word. Remind yourself that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that you're not controlled by your emotions, that you're not controlled by everything else that's going on in your life, that you're controlled by, by the, the Spirit of God and by his word and, and by his direction, and you're trusting in him. And you need to remind yourself of that so that your behavior can change as a result. Jesus affirms this, this idea of confidence in Matthew 10, 28. Here's what he said. Don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Right? Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, remember who's the big shot here. It's, it's not the people in this world that are coming against you. Your God is more powerful than anyone that come, will come against you. So why is it that we can be confident? Well, because the Lord is our light and our salvation. We understand this, this idea of winning sometimes, so like the salvation part of it makes sense to us, but he's not only our salvation, he's our light and our salvation. Let me give you an example. Uh, how many of you have heard of an Impala? Not the car, but the animal, okay? Uh, these, these animals, you, you find them in, in Africa, they can, they can jump 10 feet in the air. Like 10 feet in the air. I mean, they, they would blow away anybody in the NBA for vertical leap, okay? They can jump 30 feet long. So these jumps that they make, th I mean, just think of how incredible that is. 10 feet vertically, 30 feet horizontally. That is a massive ability to jump. Did you know that if you put a uh, wall that's three feet tall in front of an Impala, and it's not like a, just a fence that they can see through, but if it's a wall that's, that's opaque, they will not jump over it. You know why? Because impalas only jump where they can see. And if they can't see what's on the other side of that wall, they won't jump over it. They refuse to do it. Faith in God gives us the ability to jump in the dark. He's not just our salvation. He's not just our savior. He's our light too. He shows us what's in front of us. And he gives us the confidence that we need to take that step of faith. Okay, here's the third thing. Be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. Listen, fear can either drive us toward God or away from him. Here's what verse six says. And now my head shall be lifted up 
above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Worship is a decision, not a consequence. Okay? Uh, and what I mean by that is like, well, if the worship team just plays a song I really like, then I can worship the Lord. Right? Or, or maybe if I could sing better, I would sing out loud. But I, nobody wants to hear that. No, you choose to worship the Lord. You choose to lift up his name. You make a decision that regardless of what you feel like in that moment, I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what? Your feelings will follow. When you make a decision, when you make a choice, and you choose to do something, your feelings will come into alignment with that decision. But if you allow your feelings to dictate everything that you do, you'll never do anything that makes you uncomfortable. So be a worshiper. When you're going through something difficult, remember who he is. Remember the truth of who he is in God's word. It, that doesn't change, right? We don't have to worry. Everything's changing in the world, but God doesn't change. He's not any different, so why should we worship him any differently if our circumstances are messed up? Okay? Here's the fourth one. That was a short one, by the way. Here's the fourth one. Be obedient. Everybody groan a little bit. Oh, yeah. Here's what Psalm 27:11 says. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Can I say something that, that some of you aren't going to like? It's just easier if you just say yes. Just, just not. I'm going to say it either way. <laughs> but you might as well just be in agreement with me. It'll make it easier for me and for you. All right. Here it is. Just because you're uncomfortable with something the Bible or the Holy Spirit tells you to do doesn't mean you get to ignore it. Okay, let, let, me, let me say that again. <laughs> I just want to be completely clear here. Just because you're uncomfortable or you don't like something that the Bible or the Holy Spirit tells you to do doesn't mean you get to ignore it. Amen. Obedience means saying yes to God, even when it's going to affect us in a way that we perceive as negative. And, and frankly, it might hurt sometimes. It might affect your social or personal life. It might inconvenience you. It might push you to do things that you don't like to do. It might affect your relationship with people who think differently than you. But you know what? Obedience requires discipline. Sometimes it's just making a choice to say, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, can, can I just ask a, a question here? Like, are, are all disciples of Christ, are all believers, are all people who place their faith in Christ responsible for fulfilling the Great Commission? Right? That was, that was Jesus' command that he gave his disciples to go and make more disciples. Like, that's, that's the point of the church, right? So if we're not doing that, then are we being obedient? Or are we being disobedient? Yeah, but Paul, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like doing that. I mean, it might mess up my, my friendships, my relationships. I don't, I don't, that's really, that really makes me uncomfortable. The idea of talking about my faith with someone else outside of church. It's like, I, I like coming to church on Sunday, but uh, that, can I, can I give you a suggestion? Just do it anyway. 
just do it, you know, in our staff. Um, we've been, every staff meeting we get together and, and um, I, we, we kind of begin, for the, we've done this for probably a, a couple months now. Tell me about somebody you shared your faith with this week. And they all know what's coming at this point, so like, it's like, I mean, there's been times, and I'll be completely transparent and honest, there's been times where it's been like, okay, it's, it's Friday, have staff meeting on Tuesday, better go find somebody. Like, and, and it's become a spiritual discipline to, to share my faith with somebody, to talk about Christ with someone. And you know what? It's been really good. I've had some really great conversations. I've also had some really awkward ones. You know, sometimes it just doesn't go that well. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable. But, but when you just decide to do it, like, good things come out of that. And it's not just with sharing your faith or, or, or the Great Commission. There are so many other commands in Scripture that we don't necessarily like or that somebody else disagrees with. It, but yet, it's in the Word of God. We need to be obedient to that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to you about something. He's challenging you to do something. And you're like, that is way outside of my comfort zone. Somebody else could do that much better. I'm not qualified. I'm not capable. I can't do that. But God has spoken to you, and you know he's spoken to you. And you're resisting him because you're stubborn. Stop it. Okay? If God is calling you to do it, he's going to give you everything that you need to do it. He's going to help you fulfill what he's called you to do. So don't let your own securities or your own past failures or anything like that hinder you from doing what you know God has called you to do. He's going to lead you through that. He's going to give you the ability to do it if you trust in him. Be obedient. Here's the last one. Be strong. Be strong. Verse 14, it's the last verse in this chapter. Here's what it says. Wait for the Lord be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So what does it mean to be strong? Well, can I tell you something that, that I've learned? Um, strength is developed, not given. So if you want to become stronger physically, let's say you want to, to bench press more. Well, you don't start by putting 400 pounds on the barbell and here we go. No. You start with what you can do and you keep at it until you get stronger and you, you build that weight over time. Um, and it requires pushing yourself. It requires doing uncomfortable things. In fact, um, that's kind of a philosophy that, that we have in our family with our kids. We push them to do uncomfortable things. Not because we're mean, not because we like to see them suffer, but we want to teach them how to cope with the uncomfortable circumstances that they're going to have in their life, right? We want to teach them and give them the tools that they need to be successful in this life. And you know what? Here's what I'm seeing in our world today. We're so controlled by our own fears of what might happen that we never teach our kids to face their fears either. And so we just let them, you know, decide what they want to do now, you, you can't protect your kids forever, right? You can't protect them from every uncomfortable situation and then expect them as they grow up to be magically um, adults someday that have all the, the skills and abilities and strength to deal with real world, world problems. They have to develop those skills. They have to learn how to do that. And so as parents, I challenge you, put your kids in difficult situations Give them the opportunity 
to learn. And sometimes it means giving them the opportunity to fail, right? Learn how to fail in, in a safe environment and then encourage them and, and teach them what perseverance is in that process. It will set them up for success later on in life. As it, as it relates to developing strength, one of the hardest things I've ever done is run a marathon. And uh, I had a goal of, of running a marathon in under four hours, and I saw that, that Oprah Winfrey ran it in four and a half hours. I'm like, I gotta do it faster than that. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm gonna do it in less than four hours, and if I can't do it in less than four hours, I don't wanna do it. And uh, so I, I started a training program, and I started training to you know, accomplish this goal. And, and first few weeks, it was like, I, I ran a mile one day, I ran, two miles. The next day, I ran three miles on, on Saturday. And boy, that seemed really hard at the time. Three miles, that was, that was a lot. And gradually over time, you know, they say that as, as you train, you're supposed to only add about 10% per week. So like if you run three miles one week, then you, you don't add, go to four miles the next week, you go to 3.2 miles. And that 10% that kind of keeps adding up and building up. And, and over time, you get to longer and longer runs. And so I started my training back in April and um, I ran my marathon in October. It was a long, long process. It was a lot of time investment. It was a lot of miles on my legs and I got stronger and stronger as I went. And I remember one specific day where I was supposed to do the longest run, the longest training run before my marathon. It was about, it was about four weeks before the marathon. And uh, I had to run 20 miles that day. And it was a Saturday, and it was the only day that I had that, that I could do it, because obviously I'm like, Sunday morning, I'm not going to go for a run, so it wasn't like something I could put off. I had to do it that day if I was going to do it at all. And they say if you can run 20 miles, you can run a marathon. So I got in the car that day, and it started raining. I mean, like from the moment I got in the car, I literally like, like turned the car on, backed out of the driveway, and the rain started to come down. And I'm like, no, not, no, not today. Like 20 miles is, is hard, right? In ideal conditions, 20 miles is a long way. I knew I was going to be running for probably about three hours that day. I, it just started pouring. In fact, I got a video clip from that day. Check this out. Y'all, this is the definition of insanity. It is pouring out here. Absolutely pouring. And I'm driving to go do a 20-mile run in this garbage. Check this out. What is wrong with me? Now, I know some of you are thinking here, why are you filming while driving, okay? <laughs> I know, just get over that, okay? Let it go, forgive me, I was wrong, okay? <laughs> but here's the deal. I remember getting to where I was gonna go run, and I was like, I'm not gonna just run around my house for 20 miles, like I need to go somewhere. So I drove down to the chain of lakes and I parked by Lake Harriet, and I, I set up my run so that I did kind of a figure eight. I would run down Minnehaha Parkway, and then I would loop back to my car, and then I would run another big loop, and it added up to about 20 miles. 
had the whole route planned out. And I'm sitting in my car in the parking spot. And it's raining even harder than it was in that video at that moment. And I'm like, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. And I remember, like, just the decision. This is your chance. Like, you have to do this today. This is your only opportunity to do this. You don't have three hours set aside at any other time this week. So I got out of the car, and I started running. And I remember for that entire first loop, which was the bigger of the two loops, it took about two hours to do that loop. And I remember that it rained the entire time that I was out there. And I got back to the car about two-thirds of the way through my run. And the rain stopped. And at that moment, I was so excited to put on dry socks. My shoes were still soaked. But, I mean, like, at least I got to put on dry socks. It felt so good. And I finished that run, and I remember driving home on the way back and thinking, if I can do that, I can run a marathon. Like, it's not going to be like that when I run a marathon. It was just this weight that was lifted. I was getting stronger through that training, through that perseverance. Three weeks later, four weeks later, when I stepped on that start line, I, I ran the marathon in 328. I was thrilled with that result. Now, here's what what I noticed from that passage in verse 14, where it talks about being strong in the Lord. He's not talking about running there. What does he say? He says, be strong and wait on the Lord. Sometimes it's a lot easier to run than it is to wait. Waiting is one of the most maddening things that we could ever go through. (laughs) And I want us to read that verse again, but I'm going to back it up one verse and read verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, whatever you're going through in this moment, remember that life is a series of seasons. It's a series of seasons. Sometimes they overlap, but this season will pass. And sometimes, one of the hardest things that we can do is to continue to trust God while we're waiting for what's next. We're surviving. We're hanging on. Keep hanging on. Keep hanging on. There is still hope. Do you trust God enough to believe that he's good even when life isn't? I know that's not an easy thing, but it's true. As we close today, This is what I'm going to ask us to do. I believe that there are people in this room that are wrestling with something, that are struggling with something, and you're fearful about what the future might hold, and you're feeling anxious about something, you're worrying about something, and the idea of just saying, okay, I'm going to just not be fearful is just, that's just absurd and ridiculous to you. (laughs) 
Can I tell you something? God is here with you. And he wants to lead you through that. And maybe your miracle is not that God will take away whatever situation you're facing. It's that he'll lead you through it as you trust in him. So as we close today, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to pray in just a second. But if you want prayer, I'd ask that you just hang around afterwards and kind of come up to the front area here. And we're going to pray for you. And if you are willing to, uh, maybe some of our prayer leaders, if you're willing to stick around and, and come alongside people and pray with them, I'd encourage you to do that as well. And if, uh, if you need to leave today and, and uh, you're not feeling that need for prayer at this moment, I'm going to ask that after we pray that you would exit this room first and then socialize all you want. It's nice outside. You can step out there. You can um, spend some time in the foyer. But let's just make this place a place of prayer. And let's let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in this moment. Can we do that? All right. I'm going to pray in just a second, but I want you to just listen to the Holy Spirit for just a second right now and just ask the question, is that me? Am I just struggling right now and, and need some support and need some strength and need some prayer today? I need God to bring me through something that's, that feels like it's crushing me right now. As I pray, if that's you, just be prepared to take that step of faith and come. That might be uncomfortable for you, God rewards us when we trust him enough to step outside of our comfort zone. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we declare that truth that we just read. We're going to look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. As long as we have breath, we're going to remember your goodness and your faithfulness. And we're going to trust in you. We're going to wait on you. We're going to be strong in you. So Lord, I just uh, lift up those who are struggling, who are wrestling with anxiety or fear about something this morning. Lord, we aren't to be controlled by fear because fear is from the enemy. It's a lie. So Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to lean on you in this moment. And to surrender to you so that you can move in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.